0: understanding what stage your business is at is key to finding the correct path to growth.
1: It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host Chloe Thomas.
0: Hello, welcome. Um, a special welcome to you if this is the first time you've tuned into the e commerce master plan podcast, or if you're tuning in for the first time in a while, it's excellent to have you back. It's excellent to be chatting to all of you. Here on the e commerce master plan podcast, we bring you inspiring stories and examples of retailers and brands who are striving for e commerce success and doing interesting things on the path to net zero. And every January, we release our January growth series where we double up the episodes to help you pull together your your perfect plan for 2022. In this episode, we are exploring the importance of understanding your business's growth stage and how that can be a huge help in working out the endless question in e-commerce, what should you be doing rather than what you could be doing? Because we've all got thousands of things we could be doing. So today we're going through a model that will help you work out what you should be doing. So yes, this episode is a lot more on success than net zero, But we've got to be successful if we're going to help on the path to net zero. Before all of that, though, please do check out our sponsors. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion, that's billion with a B, by 2025. As the fastest growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge powers the growth of thousands of subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customers. Customer relationships. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Whether you're a direct to consumer business or an omnichannel brand, subscriptions strengthen your brand's relationship with your customers and make it easy for consumers to make repeat purchases. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with the subscription payment solution trusted by over 45 million subscribers worldwide. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash masterplan. And now to introduce today's guest expert, Luke Hodgson. Since 2013, Luke's been helping e-commerce businesses improve their systems and find the path to growth. With an impressive background in building platforms that fix all those integration headaches, his most recent endeavor is e-commerce thinking, a business on a mission to help fast growth D2C brands scale their tech just as easily as they scale their teams, marketing, and sales. As part of all that, Luke's been diving into the DNA of hundreds of D2C brands to work out the stages for growth and key things to do when you're on that growth plan. As I often say, there is an awful lot you could do to grow an e-commerce brand and the successful companies are, those that want, are the ones even that work out what they should do at any given point. Luke has shared an amazing guide to help us all work out what we should do. Um, so that's what he's here for today as part of our growth series to share it with all of you. Hello, Luke.
2: Hello. Hello. What a fabulous introduction. Thank you very oh, much. thank you.
0: I think possibly my longest intro ever, but worth it because um I saw the graphic we're going to be talking about when you shared it on LinkedIn and was like, oh, we need that on the podcast. I was I was like, we need this, we need to share this with more people. Um so I had to give it give it a good selling there. And those of you who are listening, you can see the graphic right now if you head to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, find the show notes for this episode, which you should be able to link straight to in your podcast player, and you can access that graphic. But don't worry, we're going to explain it in loads of detail. So if you're out on a run or something, just keep running and um, all will become clear. But Luke, thank you so much for coming on to talk about it. So Thank you so much for creating it. I think we've now teased everybody more than enough about it, but let's tease them just a little bit longer. What led you to do all this research and put together such a straightforward set of advice, I suppose? I think it's
2: partly organic and then partly um, strategic, the process of getting to that final Um Sort of output. Um, so I've spent the best part of 10 years inside of e commerce brands. I've seen what I think is the good, the bad, and everything in between when it comes to back office technologies, how to structure teams, what are the, some of the key sort of tipping points that businesses go through. And I've kind of lived it um, both as a, a supplier and as a consultant, and then also I've spent time as a CTO inside of businesses. So I was a CTO at Freddie's Flowers for for like 12 months. And I think that combination of experiences has just given me a, a vantage point that probably few others have, like literally worked with hundreds of e-commerce brands and then also worked really in-depth in the weeds with, with a select few. Um, so that was the kind of organic part. And then in terms of the strategic aspect. I've been building e-commerce thinking as being this um, guide to e-commerce leaders as to how to build like a leading um, world class operation inside of their e-commerce business. And the overwhelming thing that we found as we started to do more and more consulting engagements was just this general sense of insecurity about what to do when um, amongst e-commerce leaders who aren't particularly technical. Um, And I think one of the key things that we get is that there, there is this real need to understand what is the growth trajectory and some of the objectives and what are some of the key focus areas that you need to have in place in order to enable those. And look, there's probably 100 different perspectives on this. There'll be a load of people that would see it and say, actually, I would question that little area. But actually, being exact is probably not the point. It's about having a real clear set of metrics and measures that you can at least start to form clear strategies around um, so that e-commerce leaders just lose the insecurity and they can start making more confident decisions, even if they invert this slightly or tweak it slightly. It gives them a basis.
0: Yeah, it's that, it's that difficult thing, isn't it, of, of you... It, and I well, you say that's that's the question you're getting asked. That's the question I get asked the most from people is, is this marketing what I should be doing, or should I be doing something else? And it's that constant kind of insecurity or lack of faith because you are, we are all to some extent making it up as we go along. And I think that's that's why models like this, diagrams like this, I think help so much, because they give you some solidity, some foundations for your thinking. So you can then go, Right, we're doing you know we're going between 20 and 50 million turnover my core focus should now be x and y so i think we should probably get into the table and the information so tell us how you've defined stages of growth i think if we start there then people get an idea of where they might fit and then we'll talk about what people should focus on in there so so how do we how have you decided to define size of business so people can work out where they fit
2: yeah so i suppose the first point was what is the typical spectrum of growth and are there some logical stages that businesses go through and then also where do we major in like what do we know in depth and there's an upper limit because i haven't worked with that many businesses that have been two three four hundred million pound turnover Work with a couple Gymshark being a clear one and they've done terrifically but my time with them even was mostly between say 15 and 150 million um so the first thing was to say, what are we going to try and define? So what we tried to define was that from zero to a hundred million pounds. And we then started to say, okay, how does that logically split up? And we looked at, all kinds of different measures um we looked at everything from what tech and tools were in place through to what were the types of resources what were the types of founders like what were the typical characteristics of different businesses and that was again partly organic partly like actually structured and focused and once we started to really analyze it over the space of two three four months and testing this out with other people that we trust both leaders inside of e-commerce businesses leaders inside of tech and consulting just that whole e-commerce ecosystem started to form these five clear stages of of scaling up as we call it so you've got startup phase which is the first column um and again forgive the uk centricity it's just because the majority of the people in my audience are based in the uk but the the, the insights is, is are globally um kind of relevant it's not just for the UK types of businesses. But that first column startup was zero to 2.5 million. Second stage was what we call early stage scale up, which is 2.5 to 20. Mid-stage scale up is 20 to 50. Late stage scale up is 50 to 100. And then we classify grown up as 100 million and above. And it's probably worth flagging that I think there needs to be another model that's created for subscription-based businesses because they have such fundamental differences. They're so nuanced in comparison to non-subscription based. So I would encourage people to see this as the kind of like D to C e-commerce spectrum and not try and apply it too hard to subscription businesses. Cause I think that's coming. I'm, I'm
0: working <laughs> on it. Um, there we go. Well, if guys, if you want that on the podcast, when Luke's come up with it, <laughs> yeah. do, uh, do, do get in contact with me. See what, what I, I like the fact earlier you mentioned tipping points hmm. and I think it, it's that that's where the breaks are between them, aren't they? The naught to 25 million, then you've got the tipping point where things start changing in the business and you're in that 2.5 to 20, and so on and so on. The other thing I like is that, as well as giving the turnover, you've also given the headcount because I think sometimes it can be more about headcount than it is about turnover in terms of when these changes happen. Because, you know, if you're depending on where your AOV is, Fun average order value for anyone who's going, what's she talking about? Um, you've got the average order value. And if your average order value is a tenner, you have to put an awful lot more more stuff through the business in terms of orders and stock in and stock out compared to if your average order value is say 150. And actually, I've always found these tipping points have more to do with how much the business is doing rather than necessarily the the the, the pounds value. Am I right or wrong on this? And it's, you're totally welcome to say I'm wrong, but but that's why I loved having the headcount piece in there too.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and one of the reasons why there's five different levels, essentially, of, or measures is the fact that No one company is ever going to comply with every single one of these measures. You have to take more of a mean look at things. And I think those different levers that you just um, explained there, like what is the mean set of criteria that they adhere to? You've got really low AOV. Chances are you're going to have to shift more boxes of stuff to reach two and a half million or 20 million pounds. So the operational um complexities or challenges are going to be more pronounced and you're going to see increased headcount. Similarly, if you are venture, you're VC backed, from day zero, your growth trajectory and the speed with which you probably staff up will accelerate in those early stages over someone who is bootstrapping and is revenue led. So there's definitely levers. So you need to to use this as a guide um, rather than as a a hard and fast rule for for growth. Um, And I think you mentioned it before, that kind of concept of tipping points. I think most importantly, People who are starting e-commerce businesses, by and large are not starting e-commerce businesses to be absolutely amazing at technology. They are not um, like looking to be the world's best data expert in e-commerce. They have a passion for a product, brand vision, a mission perhaps, and they're obsessive about that. They know that things like technology, like marketing, they're all absolutely key enablers for them to be able to reach what they want to achieve, but they don't necessarily know where to focus their attention. So really this is about giving enough of a base metrics for people to be able to see around some corners and start to actually look ahead and say, okay, I'm going to have a transition coming up in maybe six months time when I tip from point." two million pounds to three million, right? What do I need to be thinking about? And I just think in D2C fashion and and D2C e-commerce businesses generally, this kind of metrics, so like one to 10 in the early stage, and then you drop into 10 to 30, these are rough and approximations, but they will help you start to plan for those transitions and keep people aligned around the things that they should be focused on.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's worth pointing out at this point as well, how... Big that first startup category is. We're talking zero to two point five million in sales a year, and going up to ten full time employees. Which is, you know, if you're VC backed or, or you, you manage to really hit a home run, you might manage that in a couple of years. But for many many businesses, that's a five to ten or even longer year slog. So I see this this chart, and I'm kind of like, right in the early stages. There's so much you can ignore and make sure aren't your primary focus because actually you're still, even though you may have been going for a few years, you're still really early stage.
2: Yeah. And, and look, I, I can't profess to being a whiz when it comes to generating demand in e-commerce businesses, right? Like I know or I see that the e-commerce market splits into two sides and this is massively reductive and i i understand that it's a massive oversimplification some people might even find it quite insulting but for me because of my simple monkey brain i split it all into two you've got on one side the people who generate demand in e-commerce businesses and on the other side you've got the people who specialize in meeting that demand i am very much on the latter helping e-commerce businesses meet demand through operational technology automation all of that If you think about it in that way, in that early stage, there's going to be a hell of a lot of people in that startup phase of zero to 2.5 million who are going to pitch to an e commerce leader how invaluable their product or service is going to be. They're going to be looking for people to sign off on budget, invest time, energy in putting new things in. And if I think about that from the operational side and meeting demand, which is what I major in, actually, in the zero to two and a half million pound mark, I, if I was inside of that business, would be emphasizing that you need to do as much as you can with as little investment imp- as possible in meeting the demand side until you've got repeatable, sustainable demand from new customers. And that's where like customer acquisition has to be that real central focus for zero to 2.5. Because ultimately, if you do not build up that, that head of steam and that momentum in that early phase, There's no point in investing heavily in in other really complex or big investments in the back office, for example. Whereas then when you drop into, or you you kind of the inflection point into two and a half to 20, actually that operational efficiency, being able to meet the demand, that starts to become a barrier to growth if you don't sort it out. So as you're starting to mature through the startup phase and you drop into, or you're moving into that next two and a half to 20 million pound phase, that's when those kind of decisions around how are we operationally set up? If we tripled in size, Is could we handle it in terms of order processing? Are our stock forecasting and supply chains strong enough to be able to support that upsurge? And that's where you start to need to blend some of the investment. And then it's really about, okay, how are we going to, the customer growth rate? So how are we proving the proposition is scalable to a wider consumer group? That actually inside of that focus, it broadens it, not just from let's acquire, let's acquire, let's acquire, but let's do it in a more sustainable way. And that'll include things like, are we getting people back in? Are they are they loyal to us? Are they referring people to us? And that then starts to play out as you go through the different stages of growth in the diagram that you'll see.
0: I think one of the interesting things about growth is always that we need to try and focus on the most important problem mm. which can end up feeling a little bit like a game of whack-a-mole you know like oh god the warehouse has just fallen apart ah we better go and fix that problem and you you can end up just kind of firefighting which is a problem it's not the ideal equally bad is the opposite side of that coin where you're like brilliant we're doing 10 orders a day and we've got the perfect back end system that can scale to 10,000 orders a day it's like that was completely the wrong thing to spend time, money, and training on getting to that point. Because actually, you know, if you imagine an empty warehouse that can do ten thousand, and you're only doing ten, you know, you've totally invested in the wrong place. So I, what I like is the fact that that diagrams like like the one you've put together they enable us to get ahead of the firefighting stage, but also to keep us focused on what we actually should. Be doing. So on the diagram, you're giving us kind of two key areas to focus on, depending on which which of these stages we're in. One is the prevailing mentality, which is our kind of like our our prevailing mentality. You've put the words there. Um, the other one is the KPI, which I want to touch on the KPI, and then we'll come back to that prevailing mentality. And I like the fact we've you've you've given us that KPI to focus on because to illustrate the point, I was I was trying to make it shortly ago you know, we need to stay focused on what we should be focusing on at any stage in the business. And in that startup stage, the zero to 25 million, it's customer acquisition. It's all about getting more customers. And then all the way over In 50 to 100 million is where lifetime value comes in. And then I think this this particular one is a particularly clear example of it because I come across so many small businesses who are just starting up. Maybe they're six months, 12 months in and they're going, but what's my, Chloe, how do I work out my customer lifetime value? I'm like, well, I can tell you, but you really don't need to worry about it at the moment. Mm. And yes, it's great you're embracing the theory that customer lifetime value is important, but right now you don't need to know the pound, shillings and pence of it. You need to keep focusing on that customer acquisition piece.
2: Yeah, and and I think I've seen so many examples like you just described. Um, and um, I think when I've been challenged on this model, and they're totally legitimate challenges, by the way, people have conflated the fact that I've put lifetime value at 50 to 100 million as me saying you don't need to give a crap up until then about whether people stick around. And it's not that at all. You, Any rational, sane business leader is going to want to keep a track of whether people are satisfied and whether they're repeat purchasing. What I'm getting at is If you have got a differentiated product and you feel that there is a real growth opportunity in the market, you need to prove that first before you make your raison d'etre about proving lifetime value of those customers. You go for the land grab. You've got to do something about that. Like you've got to prove that there's a land to be grabbed. And that happens in those zero to sort of 20 to 50 million pound range for me. Look, if you're growing and accelerating through that mid-stage scale-up of 20 to 50 million, and I've been involved in a lot of businesses that have made that transition in a year, and that's mind-blowingly quick. The vast majority don't do it that quick, but I have been involved in them. And If you've got that headwind, you'd be mad not to start looking at the next stage and saying, okay, how can I ready myself for when we're really focusing on lifetime value? But you've got to prove that the market's there. You've got to prove that your product is wanted by enough people to really merit that longer term investment in the, the, the lifetime value. And ultimately, there's there's economic meth- like rationale behind this. Like Once you get to that customer acquisition cost being the primary focus in 20 to 50 million, what you're basically saying is that we can demonstrate to potential investors, to the to people who might want to buy us or maybe one day we'd like to be listed. We'd like to IPO. All of these different stages are proving to people outside of your business that you are a mature company with a market that is readily wanting what you offer. And when you then move into that next stage and lifetime value trumps everything else in terms of focus, it's just that next extension of maturity of the business. But for me, the most successful businesses that I've seen have gone through with these focal points at the different stages and been aware of what they're going to need to focus on in the future. But All of the different strategies across the business could ultimately be rolled up at any one time to focus on these things. So it's not like you're just throwing everything else out of the way and only focusing on these things. But all of the different strategies, whether it's in tech, data, marketing, sales, product, new product development, R&D, all of these things, they could easily be rolled up in a strategic meeting to say these are geared towards Boosting customer acquisition, like having customer growth rates going up, customer acquisition costs coming down, lifetime value being increased, advocacy and referral increasing. So, yeah, it's not that I'm saying don't do other things, saying if you want to keep your teams focused and aligned, make sure that what they're doing at these different stages of growth can roll up into these metrics.
0: It's a bit like uh, we hear a bit these days about the T-shaped marketer being the perfect marketer. So there's someone who sits in your marketing team and they know they know a bit about email, they know a bit about social, a bit about content, a bit about ads, a bit about whatever else it is you're doing, PR, etc. cetera. Uh, probably know a little bit about ops, about customer service and so forth, but they are deep in CRO or they're deep in SEO. And it's kind of almost like a T-shaped strategy. Your your big focus, zero to 25, is customer acquisition. But you're still, you're not, not to the exclusion of customer growth rate, customer acquisition, cost, lifetime value, advocacy, and referral. But that's your primary strategy. Let's now go on to the prevailing mentality, which is the other, I think, I'm really glad you kind of stripped it down to just these two rows, the KPIs and the prevailing mentality, because I always think the, the value of these, of these exercises, of this clarity, is that it's clarity. There's not, there's not 10 things to do between zero and 25, here's the two leading things. So, mm-hmm. What led you to put prevailing mentality on this stripped down, clear diagram?
2: To give people a break from agonizing over whether their business was mad or not. I've worked with so many founders who are like, Christ, it cannot... Every business in this stage cannot be as either stressful or as confusing as ours. And the reality is that it is. Like, particularly in that early stage, it's about survival. You are looking for the gaps. You are trying to establish how on earth you are going to make this thing long-term, sustainable, capitalize on the opportunity that's in front of you. Particularly in that early phase, it's just about providing some comfort, right? Like, I've seen enough of these businesses that I know that deep down, everyone's insecure. Everyone's figuring it out for the first time. And if you can give them a bit of comfort to say, well, actually, I've been in a lot of other businesses and they all share the same prevailing mentality, don't beat yourself up about it. Like, do do positive things that can improve your situation, can ensure the mental health of your staff and all of these different great things that people should be doing. But don't beat yourself up if you identify with these different kind of mentalities at different stages of growth. Um, And also, it gives a, I suppose, a path to things will change, things will get better. Um, And these are the kind of, this will be the ethos of the business at a different stage of growth. Um, and and like you say, it's just about trying to distill things down. I think I've, I've worked for a long, 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 long time in tech, in integrations, in data mapping, like the real minutiae of technology. And reality is the 90%, if not more, of a business that is benefiting from those services and those solutions that are being put in will not engage with that level of detail they need to have things described and presented to them in a way that they can understand that is they're fluent in and i just think this is a a really i suppose like interesting but simple way for people to be able to to grasp it and i think it's probably worth saying that like we created this out of our methods and our focus areas in e-commerce thinking, which is back office technology and and tech strategies inside of e commerce, but what we've been really i suppose proud of and, and really pleased with is that other departments and other people who have no interest in our world have actually started <laughs> adopting it, which yeah we're going to take the the win there
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely take the win there, and I think I, I guess we could see the prevailing mentality as the anti-imposture syndrome kind of line, Mm. you know, it's okay. It's supposed to feel crazy at the moment. That's not a bad reflection on you. But I think one of the other things is as human beings, you know, if we get into a kind of personality types, we're often well-suited to a business in a certain stage. Mm. You know, there are those people who want to be in in the scrappy survival mode. There are those people who like to be in the, we're just starting to scale up. Let's get build teams for the first time, get into delegation. Um, There are those who want to, you know, kind of realign everything after the crazy chaos has happened of the first two stages. Mm. And then there are those who just love working in predictable grown-up businesses, spending far more time on strategy and branding than I've ever had any desire to do. Um where would you place think,
2: yourself, Chloe? Like where where do you I, think is your sweet spot?
0: I am somewhere probably at the tail end of startup into scale up. Because I, I like to have data. I'm not good at brand new things. She says the woman who's created two podcasts, two businesses (laughs) and various other things. But when it comes to to the, you know, the the marketing stuff, I want data to make my decisions. Mm. I, and I want to, to, to be able to have something to look at. And when you're in that zero to, to half a million, you're only just starting to get enough data to make things really fun. So Mm. yeah, I'm kind of around there. Where are you?
2: I think I'm slap bang between the early stage scale-up and the mid-stage scale-up where I feel Mm -hmm. that I have the most... Value to add, I think I can get businesses set up to motor through from fifty to north of hundred million. But where I really, really love getting stuck in is when a business has proven that it's got traction. You know, it's got the traction, it's got a proven market, um, but it's trying to figure out how to take it from like that teamwork stage through alignment and ready it for takeoff. And then once it's taking off it should be able to look after itself because it's got seniority at the board at the director level it's got really sort of mature teams and management structures so yeah i like it when those things are being figured out for the first time
0: yeah and and everyone listening these are the sort of, hopefully this is resonating with you because often it can be you you can have loved being in a business but then it hits a level that you're just no longer happy with and there's nothing wrong with that that's a good time time to move move on to something else well it, um Luke, with you here on the podcast, I, I need to ask you something that's not, not entirely related to your diagram, but which would be remiss of me not to ask because I, you said earlier, we have the driving sales side and the meeting demand side. You're on the meeting demand side, I'm on the driving sales side. But from, from my perspective, I think one of the biggest lessons we've learned in the last couple of years is the importance of having the right tech stack in place. And it feels like as a result of that, and as a result of the huge surge in consumers coming online and starting to buy online, we're now seeing a much closer alignment between the ops side of things and the marketing side of things and a lot more interest in working together and working out how we can solve each other's problems. On the other side of the fence, are you seeing that as well? 100%
2: 100% yeah, yeah yeah I think um, particularly in some of the subscription businesses that I've worked really closely with I mean I was it was a pleasure to be inside of Freddie's Flowers as we went through the initial um, upsurge that was prompted by lockdowns right like they do flower box deliveries their subscriber rates went through the roof like we went from oh god what's going to happen with this lockdown are we going to be able to function as a business to oh my god how are we going to handle all of this demand and I think moments like that um, which are in many ways phenomenal as a business from a commercial perspective, they they pressure test absolutely everything. And we're seeing that across D2C e-commerce. It's like the... The businesses that have won or lost big inside of the the lockdowns are the ones that have got their operations and marketing really humming at the same time. Um, so yeah, we're seeing that from the other side. And I think the I think the proliferation and the development of a lot of the technologies that are out there over the last four to five years has really made like marketing and ops and other departments come much closer together and it's largely because they can do far more stuff themselves they can use data far more effectively and they can present you know I, i remember like not too long ago you could walk into 100 businesses and if you ask them all okay does your marketing team that is setting up campaigns and promotions have a clear read on how much stock you've got forecasted of the items that they're going to be boosting. You could ask 100 of them and find that about 90 of them would say, no, I don't think they do. How would they get that? Whereas today, I think if you asked the same 100, you would find that a lot more have got that kind of visibility over the the data that really matters source of that data will be from ops or it could be from marketing but it's mutually really really important that everyone's aligned so that's just one example of where i'm seeing it more and more become something that's joined up and those that are struggling to join those things up they're the ones that have the biggest opportunity because once you join those things up and align them things really start to take hold and, and move quicker
1: E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are.
0: SMS is a first and zero party data channel, which means you're in control, making SMS a marketing channel you need to master. And Yotpo SMS bump are here to help you do just that. SMS success starts with growing your SMS database. And to do that, you need the right tools. Not just a form in the footer of your website. Oh, no, no. Yotpo SMS bump have over eight built-in subscription tools to get your customers signed up, including social opt-in, Yes, get sign up straight from social media, QR codes for your offline marketing and all the pop-ups, forms and buttons you can think of to add to your website. The time to start building your SMS list is today. Start your SMS journey with Yotpo SMS Bump and get a month of text messages for free at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash SMS Bump. That's ecommercemasterplan.com slash What sort of customer reviews are you collecting? You should be encouraging your customers to leave text, image, and video reviews. You need all three to maximize the impact of your UGC, that's your user-generated content. Where are you utilising the power of your customer reviews? You should be using reviews on your product pages, throughout your website and across all your marketing channels because social proof increases sales. That means you need a review system that makes it easy for customers to leave all formats of reviews and makes it super easy to integrate with your marketing channels like Klaviyo, Gorgeous and Google Shopping. Want all that? Then you need pinu Trusted by 10,000 Shopify retailers worldwide, pinu boosts Shopify stores with reviews rich in UGC. Get your reviews now with a 14-day free trial at Opinu.com. That's O P I N E W.com.
1: It's time for the Top Tips Round.
0: Okay. I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So Luke, are you ready for the top tips? As I'll ever be. (laughs) Okay. Um, The book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Given that
2: I run a business with a growing team, this is going to sound a little bit left field, but read Company of One by Paul Jarvis. It will give you a different definition of success that will give any business leader a challenge and give them another sort of lever to pull in when they're figuring out their long term strategy and what they want from their businesses. So, yeah, read Company of One.
0: It's an excellent book. Um, I was rearranging my bookcases yesterday and put it closer to the top, if that makes any sense. sense. Um, So yeah, I I second that choice. Okay. The traffic top tip, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves?
2: I'm not qualified. Go talk to somebody who is an expert in that would be my top tip.
0: I'll take it. I'll let you, I'll let you off on that one. Such as
2: Chloe Thomas.
0: Uh, Okay. The tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day?
2: Yes. Airtable. Become proficient in no-code tools. Airtable is your entry level. Get proficient in that and it will change the way you do things inside of your business almost overnight. Yep.
0: The most recommended tool on the podcast is slack by by a mile the most recommended tool by people with an ops focus is airtable coming in a close second i think um so i love that you've you've added that one to the list as well okay the growth top tip if you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1000 what would be your number one tip for them
2: oh this this is the classic there's 100 things you could do what should you do i would get really, really accurate, actual and forecast stock levels. One of the least sexy answers you'll ever get, but get those things nailed and you unlock everyone else to operate so much more confidently, whether it's marketing, whether it's finance, whatever. Everyone will be far more stable if they know the actuals and the forecast stock levels.
0: I love any practical advice like that. I'm a big fan of, so that's, that's good. Not dull at all. Um, Luke, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media? And actually tell us a little bit about what e-commerce thinking does, because we've mentioned you a couple of times, but we haven't really said what you're up to.
2: Yeah. So e-commerce thinking is a business that is focused on helping leaders of e-commerce startups make better informed technology decisions. And we really focus on helping brands build a world class back office. So operational side of a company. What kind of tech strategy do you need? What tools should you choose? What resources should you bring on to enable you to move through those different stages of growth that we've talked about? And then alongside e-commerce thinking, we've also got our software business, High Cohesion, which is highcohesion.com. And this is an automation platform that's used by fast growing brands to automate data flows between their different systems. And you will find me on LinkedIn. I am very active on LinkedIn and always keen to, uh, to get into chats and, um, and, and, and explore topics online. So, yeah, if you, if you follow me on LinkedIn, um, you will no doubt see visualizations that I'm putting out, such as the one we've been discussing today. And, yeah, really, really looking to drive engagement and, and, and build an audience around those.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Luke. And thank you for doing all the work that led to this table and for coming on being so awesome chatting through it all. Um so thanks very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. So if you only take two things from our chat with Luke, one of them is to get clear on which stage your business is in and what that means for where your focus is. Um, and the other one is Now is the time to be investing in your tech stack and getting the right systems in place, the right technology, the right people, training them and embracing the no-code revolution, which is when you're doing things like using tools like Zapier or tools like Airtable, which just make it incredibly easy for the non-coder to do some really, really powerful things with your technology. You can get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the diagram we were talking our way through, plus the top tips and links to all, what we mentioned by heading over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. There you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on many of the other things I share to help you improve your business. The January growth series continues on Monday when we're going to be exploring the joys of the website re-platform project. Oh yes, that horrible, horrible process that can bring so much brilliance when it all goes right. We're exploring that with a retailer who's just been through the process, a very long, a very complicated process. And he's sharing how it went, what they learnt, and loads of really good, insightful stuff too. So make sure you've followed and subscribed to us wherever you're listening so that you don't miss out on that. And if you can't wait until then, just scroll up our list of episodes in your podcast player and listen to whatever takes your fancy. You can do the same thing on the website too if you want to have a, have a look through all those 300 plus episodes we've now got there for you to pick from. Thank you so much for tuning into the eCommerce Masterplan podcast today. I bring you a new interview every single episode because I want to inspire and help e-commerce business owners to succeed and thrive with their businesses, both to make you more successful and to to turn your business into a force for good for our planet. If you know someone this show can help, please, please, please tell them to listen to the E-commerce Masterplan podcast because I'd love to help them too. Have a lovely week and don't forget to keep optimizing.
1: Thank you for listening to the E-commerce Masterplan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com/podcast.
0: Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash masterplan.